in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it tells us that everything that occurred to the children of Israel, everything related to their history from beginning to end, uh, happened to them as examples for us. Do you believe that? That's the Bible. You're supposed to believe it. Do you believe that? Whatever occurred there, whatever occurred there, happened, and, and especially we, we like to emphasize to the, to the young people, they actually happened. You know, so in, some, in some classes, in some universities, they're told that those things didn't actually happen, that they are stories or fables or allegories. No, they actually happened, but they happened as examples to us. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 11. But, but, but the verse doesn't end there. The verse continues to say that they were written. They occurred as examples, but then they were written for our admonition. You know, an example is very different than an admonition. I could give you an example, right? I, we, we sometimes use a, a Coca-Cola bottle as an example. But that's not an admonition. An admonition is, be careful. That's, that's an admonition. An admonition is a kind of a, a charge with some warning that if you don't take heed, probably you'll lose something. So let's come back to the verse. It says, the things that happened to Israel, they occurred as an example to us, which means we can learn from everything. We can learn. And, and that everything applies to us. You know, the whole Bible is different when you apply it to yourself. And especially if you can see yourself in the Bible, the Bible becomes a new book. But they were written for our admonition. For our warning that if we don't take heed to what we see there, we might pay a, a kind of price. We might lose something. We might lose something. So, but actually the verse doesn't end there either. It says, it says, they were written for our admonition unto whom the ends of the ages have come. Oh, saints, do you believe this verse? This is the Bible. The Bible says that those things weren't written for us as those who are present at the end of the age. At the end of the age. Well, <clears throat> you know, in the Old Testament, so many things happened to Israel. And many Bible teachers, they apply certain points 
of the Old Testament to the New Testament church, like, like very commonly known as the, the Passover or the crossing of the Red Sea. I think even the manna, those things. But, but many Bible teachers fall short in extending that much further. But you know, in the, in the Old Testament, probably the greatest type, the greatest type is the land. Amen. The land. You know, we're blessed to have this uh, publication uh, entitled The All-Inclusive Christ. Right. Actually, this was the first conference released in, in the West by our brother when he, when he came. And, and, of course, we've had this probably good majority of us here have, have read through this. Through this. Well, <clears throat> you, you, might, you might recall this if, if, you've, if you've read this book, that the entire Old Testament is really, is really a portrait or a display of a battle over that land, that land, that little strip of land <laughs> called the good land, sometimes called the land of Canaan. Some people call it Palestine. I don't like to call it Palestine. I'd rather call it the good land. Amen. That little strip of land is a type of Christ. And, and we know that we know that in the typology, in the Old Testament, um, that land meant everything to the nation of Israel. And, and it was promised, it was promised to Abraham. It was promised to Abraham. When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, in those early chapters, 12 through 15, you can see God promised his, that land, that land. But you know the history. I know many of you know the history. Of course, we're here, well, I think you came intending to hear something about the children. We'll get to them. <laughs> we'll get to them. But we're going to start with Christ. Amen. We're starting with Christ as our land. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let, let me tell you, let, I can, I, let me insert this now. Let me insert this now. Actually, God promised Abraham two things. Land. And seed, seed, descendants. Of course, on one, on one hand, on one hand, that seed, the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is Christ. Christ. God promised him Christ as his descendant. But, but as you read those chapters, you know, the Lord also says that, that, your seed will be like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the heaven. Actually, saints, you are a fulfillment of that prophecy, as I am. We sitting here right now are a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. But if you look at the Old Testament, actually the entire Old Testament, we can see the start to finish, it's a portrait of a battle for the seed as well, or a battle over the seed, a battle over those descendants. There's a war going on over those descendants. There's a kind of tug of war going on. 
And actually, this land and the seed for God's purpose to be accomplished must be together. And the battle over the land and the battle over the seed is to keep the seed on the land. You know, when, when God first comes to Abraham, he's far away from that land. And then God brings him. God brings him. And when you read the story, not too, not too long after, he leaves the land and goes to Egypt. And Egypt, of course, is a type of the world. Many of you are children's meeting teachers and young people's teachers, so I know that you know. I'm not teaching you this. I'm just pointing out something that you know. But I hope you could have maybe a new perspective about something. So Abraham gets recovered. You know what? In Egypt, he, he lies. Is that right? I don't want to say anything bad about Father Abraham. But the Bible says he lies. But isn't that our story? We were far from Christ. Then we got onto the land. And then we, and we do things that even we're surprised. And then we get recovered back. And we forget about that. So don't think about that. Maybe, maybe you got carried away from the land sometime today. But let's forget about that. Because tonight we're on the land. Amen. At least temporarily. Because what happened to Abraham? He went back. And then he came back. And then he had a son. What happened to his son? And then he came back. And then he had a son. And then he had 12 sons. What happened to them? So th this is the Old Testament. And then... then they, you know, got rescued from Egypt, and God wanted to bring them to the land. But they got delayed for years and years and years. Eventually, they entered the land. Oh, I think our, our next uh, crystallization training will be on Joshua entering the land. This past weekend, or earlier this week, I gave a conference with another brother to our local young people on Joshua. No, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. It's wonderful to see characteristics of Joshua. So they got on the land. And then what happened? Oh, eventually, they drew from the riches of the land. They established a kingdom. They built the city. They built the temple. And when Solomon, right, eventually David's the one who wants to build. He can't build, but he prepares. Solomon builds the temple. And, and, and do you know what chapter that is? Where he builds the temple, where, where he dedicates the temple? 1 Kings 8. He dedicates the temple with a wonderful prayer. I'm sure you're familiar with that prayer. And he, sa you know, he says, Lord, if someday your people are not faithful and get carried away, even already realizing probably what's going to happen. They fall away, but if they look to this house, 
if they look to this land, restore them. And then as he's praying, the glory fills the temple. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, it's, it's the high peak of the New, Old Testament. 1 Kings 8. Do you know how long that, that high peak lasts? Three chapters. What happens in 1 Kings 11? Do you know? Solomon. It tells us that he, through his thousand wives, allows what? Idols. And the, the mixture of idols comes in. And it talks about high places. You know this phrase, high places, in the Old Testament. Uh, did you wonder about that as you were re used to read through? Oh, high places. The kings would be measured how good they were or how unfaithful they were by whether or how they dealt with the high places. Sometimes it says, this one was very good, except that he did not tear down all the high places. Or that one was very good, he dealt with all the high places. What is that? That's exalting something other than Jehovah on the land. And for that, they got carried away. Saints, is that an example for us? Was that written for our admonition? We have to believe there's something to learn. That we could be worshiping the Lord, enjoying Christ in the land, but at the same time allowing something else to be exalted. So anyway, the result of that was what? Eventually carried off again. Some to Assyria, some to Egypt, and the great number to Babylon. But thank the Lord there were some faithful ones, like Daniel, Esther, and Ezra, and Nehemiah, and Haggai, and Zechariah, and there was a recovery back to the land. And they reestablished the kingdom, reestablished the house, built the house, and Christ comes. The Old Testament ends, and Christ came. Do, do you see? It's all, the history is all in reference to their position on the land. Is the seed on the land, then God's purpose can be accomplished. You know, so when, when Paul was writing the book of Colossians, and that's why we read these verses in Colossians, when he wrote this verse, do, do you realize that's the picture that he had when he was writing? When he was writing, he said, we, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified every one of us for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. Amen. So that... That, that phrase, the allotted portion, is definitely an inference to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Of the allotting of, of the land. Christ is our land. Amen. And then, in chapter 2, he says, what? As you have received the Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk. Walk in him. He becomes a realm. What's that? That means 
He's your land. And then verse 7, even more, he says, how do you walk? Having been rooted. Well, if you talk about rooting, you're talking about land. So this view of Christ as the land was before Paul as he was writing this book. And do you remember verse 8? Verse 8 starts with this word, beware. Beware that no one, what? Carries you off as spoil. Do you see that that verse refers to the land also? Actually, Paul is pointing to the history in the Old Testament that we just reviewed. That so many factors would come in to cause us to lose the Lord's blessing and through that lose the enjoyment of Christ. And that was the great warning of Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. I think quite a number of us have passed through the Deuteronomy training, I believe. And, and there, there's a strong verse in, in uh, chapter 30. In chapter 30, I have put before you, what? Life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. But the verse doesn't end there. Sometimes we just end there. Choose life. What's the rest of the verse? So that you and your seed may live. Saints, do, do we realize that my choosing life will affect whether my seed can live? My choosing life, my choosing the blessing, my choosing God's word will have an impact on my seed. It's not just choose life so that you may live. Choose life so that you and your seed may live. Well, saints, do you realize this, these two battles... The battle over the land, that's something very real in our experience today. Actually, even just in this meeting, like right now, have you never experienced this? Just in the meeting. You, I don't know how many times you may have been carried off. Already? I only spoke 10 minutes. You could have gone to Egypt three times. <laughs> I'm not blaming. Don't worry. I know this because I did this. The brothers who are coordinating everything, oh, they're thinking, oh, amen, praise the Lord. Oh, oh I hope he doesn't speak too long. The children are being cared for. Oh, do, oh, do we have this? Do we have that? Oh, did we get the, is the lunch ready? Uh, oh, the coordinating brothers. Maybe they're the ones who get the most distracted. In one meeting, this is very real. There's a battle over my experience and enjoyment of Christ. And yours, even now, even just in our morning time with the Lord, just in, does this not happen? You, you want to have, a, you, you got up. That's a victory. 
you're, you're there. And like, it's already like, hey. And, and so you're, you got up. You have the extra time. Now, oh, maybe you usually spend 10 minutes. Today, it's 20 minutes. Whoa. And so, and so then, and, and oh, Lord, I, I, oh, oh, no. Did you ever have an oh, no? Right in the middle of your morning revival? It's just like, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, no. I, f- I forgot. I forgot to call Bill. Oh, and give him my itinerary. Don't think that this is like actually happened. Yeah. The brothers had to remind me. You didn't give us your itinerary. So it could be right in the, oh, Lord Jesus, I love Bill. I mean, I love Bill, but, that, but Bill should not be in my morning revival. Bill, do you know you got into my morning revival this week? I didn't invite you, but you got there. Because there's a battle for the land. Why didn't I remember before? Why didn't I remember before I went to bed? Why am I reminded at that moment when I'm trying to focus on the precious Lord Jesus? Because there's a battle for the land. And there's a battle for our seed. There's a battle for our children. And this is not, nothing new because in the scriptures show, the scriptures show from the very, if you understand me, from the very first, second generation, you see the enemy come in. From the very first, second generation. And the way he comes to the second generation is different than to the first. With Adam and Eve one way, when you read Genesis 4, it's different. Through the, through the rivalry, through the sibling rivalry, jealousy, there's some weakness there. The enemy comes in. But do you, do you see how God speaks to Cain? We won't get into that, but I'll just mention that. You know, God speaks to Cain in a very endearing way. In a very endearing way. Actually, in a very shepherding way. Even the ones that are off, hmm, our spirit should be right. Maybe we can recover some. Can you imagine, after what Cain did, the way God speaks to him, even even provides for him. That shows something. But the way of this, to the second generation, and do you see in the second generation, death. At that time, to half. Of course, Adam and Eve had more children. But at that time, there were two. Death. And then a kind of mixture with the remaining one. And if you fast forward to the book of Exodus, it's the same thing. You know, when God's children, at the end of Genesis, God's people, the children of Israel, numbered 70 souls. You remember? It tells us, 70. But you just turn the page to Exodus 1. Several hundred years have passed, and now there are a couple of million people. And the Pharaoh is threatened. You know, in Exodus 1, when you open Exodus 1, 
and you read, the Pharaoh is not happy. You know the story, right? The Pharaoh is actually threatened. Now, again, saints, do you believe this is a type for us? Then do you realize that, that our Pharaoh, who's that? Satan, is not happy with something. Actually is threatened by something. Threatened by what? Our seed. Our increase. There, he's threatened by the increase of God's people. And therefore, makes a plot. And there's one plot for the older generation and one plot for the younger generation. You, you, you know this. The older generation, get them tired. Get them worn out. With what? Work. Daily life. Earning a living. Isn't that today? Younger generation, what? Just to wipe them out. To kill them. To kill half. And then the other half will grow up, the females, right? It was to kill the male, the boys, the boys. The females will grow up and, of course, eventually marry Egyptians. Mixture. In principle, the same. Satan always would like to destroy the next generation. And par particularly something about the males. Maybe, maybe concerning, because the leadership for the future, I don't know. But there's something there. To, he wants to damage the second generation. Of course, all the stories are not negative. Thank the Lord. We do, have, we do have cases here and there of some that are raised for the Lord, even become the ones who turn the age. But I hope, I hope that we can see <clears throat> nearly every case of those. It's not just one generation. Actually, nearly every case, it was two generations doing something together. <clears throat> Can I have that? Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I think I may have mentioned last time I was here concerning the story of Noah. Noah, you, we, we, usually, we usually say Noah and the ark. Right? We only talk about Noah. But maybe for the sake of some who may not have been here, Excuse me. <laughs> you know, in Noah's time, it was not one that entered into the ark. How many? Eight. Actually, it was two generations. It was mom and dad with all of their children. Three for three. Praise the Lord. Not half. Later on, maybe more tomorrow morning, we may talk about these uh, certain statistics that we've come upon that, uh, that show uh, among Christian groups, and including our own, uh, ourselves, I mean, 
um, there's a great rate of attrition, of loss, with the second generation, especially among Protestant denominations. Some survey was done uh, by certain groups, um, pretty extensive. So we, we do give some merit to that. And it showed us that um, about 64%, 64% being lost in certain denominations. Gr thousands of Christian young people who grew up so-called going to church regularly, going to church. Now they're in the ages of 22 to 30. Okay, do you see this range? 22 to 30. So they were asked, do you still attend church regularly? And 64% said no. But what's interesting is that this was, not, it w this was not the end of the survey. They asked them, why not? And those answers, very revealing. And then the 34% that continued, they were asked, why? Why do you continue in this group, this Christian association with this group? You're on your own now. You can choose, but you choose to remain. Why? Those answers, very revealing as well. Okay, I'll come back to that. <laughs> That's what we call a teaser. <laughs> a teaser. But in Noah's case, in Noah's case, oh no, sorry, sorry, I meant to, I meant to say, yeah, we, 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 our statistics, that is for the local churches and the Lord's recovery in North America is about 50%. We lose about 50%. Now, no one should say, oh, amen, we're better than, <laughs> yeah. so, no, that doesn't mean anything. You have four children. You have five. You have four. You have four. Yeah. If I tell you, which four boys, right? Oh, I, I remember. They were, some of them were sitting right here last year on Lord's Day. Yeah. Four boys. How would you feel if I tell you, okay, just choose two. And the enemy will take two. No. We would say no. No, we won't stand for that. What parent would just, well, well, he lost, he lost three. I'm only losing two. I'm better. No, no one thinks that way. So nothing to be proud. We all have a lot of learning to do. And that's somewhat our burden, why we come together. How can we, how can we uh, change this trend? And, 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 and corporately, because we will see, I hope, by the end of the weekend, it, it, I'll, I'll borrow this, this phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Right. Yeah. And, and I hope we'll see, it takes the community of the church to raise our young people and to bring them on in, in the Lord. And actually, those surveys somewhat strengthen that point. But I'll get to that a little later. But in Noah's case, it's so good. Three sons, all three stood with their father. And probably at a cost. You could, you could imagine at a cost. 
It, I don't think it was easy to be the son of Noah <laughs> for all those years. You know, growing up, children are cruel. Actually, parents are cruel too sometimes. And you can imagine, you can imagine that, that uh, a friend of Japheth, my dad says that your dad is crazy. <laughs> now, it doesn't say that in the scripture. You have to exercise a little sanctified imagination. But don't you believe there were things like that? My dad says your dad. Don't you think sometimes maybe the boys would come home, Mommy, so-and-so said daddy's crazy. Maybe mom would, well, son, come, let's talk. We're going to stand with daddy. We're going to, you know, we don't even know her name, but I, I, do, I do feel we must give much credit to Sister Noah. You know what I mean? She got not only those three boys on board, but then their wives. And those, those three girls, those three girls, when they entered the ark, when the door was shut, when the screams were heard outside, eventually, don't you believe there were? Yes. Noah, now we believe. Noah, open. He said, I can't open because I didn't shut it. It's too late. That, that included those girls' families? How did they make it? Uh, I, I just have to believe something about Noah's wife and her infusing, infusing, just like, just like here, just like what Lois and Eunice did with Timothy, infusing with faith. You know, this is a wonderful uh, picture here. This is about, this is about Timothy. <clears throat> because Timothy, uh, uh, Timothy was the first generation, let's see, yes. The first church generation's second generation. Did I say that correctly? You know, the New Testament, the first New Testament second generation. Timothy was among the first young adults in the church life. Just like Mark, just like Archippus, just like the four daughters of Philip. Now, there's a few that we, we hear a little bit about. But Timothy, so useful to Paul, but was not, was not produced by Paul. He was perfected by Paul. He was produced by his mother and his grandmother. And I do believe in Noah's case, both the mother had something to do and great-grandpa Methuselah also had something to do with that. You, you do realize Methuselah was a contemporary 
of right? He lived through with Noah and the three boys until the year of the flood. It's very interesting when you do all the numbers and you discover Methuselah did die the year of the flood. And he has this prophetic name that his father gave to him, right? Enoch. What a family this was. What a family. Right? It says, it says, Noah walked with God. It says, Noah walked with God. But was he the first to walk with God? No, no, no. His, what, great, great, great grandfather was the first. And don't you believe that Methuselah spoke these things to Noah? Noah, my father, he walked with God. He taught me to walk with God. Amen. Taught your daddy to walk with God. Now you walk with God. But then the boys, don't you believe he was an influence in their lives? Again, the scripture doesn't say. But there's something about this family. And actually, we have a classic message in the Genesis Life Study series called The Life and Work That Turned the Age. It's a wonderful message. One of the points is inheriting the from from the from the family the heritage of the family that's one of the qualifications to make us someone who can turn the age and of course that to us to a great extent is spiritual but there can be a lot done through the family as what's shown in this verse from grandmother to the mom to the son Saints, this, these two battles of the land and the seed, they merge in our homes. These battles are going on in our homes. Actually, from, from the moment a child enters into our family, this battle is, is going on. You know, I believe it's, it, to me, it's very significant. Uh, this verse here, the first verse, Genesis 12, 3, that when God called Abraham, he says to him, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know, this is repeated in, in the Old Testament and in the New. But usually, not like this, Usually it says, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Only a few times does it say family. Most times it says nations. But the first time it says families. Saints, God wants to bless families. Family by family. And actually strong nations are made up of strong families. And today, in our day, there is such a barrage of warfare against family. In our society, it's even hard to believe 
how strong the current is. Anti-family. To tear down the family unit. To blur the family unit. You know, families or households are the unit of salvation. That's, that's what we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In, in, in the New Testament, in Acts 16, we have this well-known verse, Acts 16.33. This is uh, in Philippi. The jailer gets saved, and, and he comes, and you know the whole thing with uh, Paul and Silas in the prison, and, and uh, there's a, there's, they're rejoicing in the, at midnight, there's an earthquake, and, you know, the jailer believes they're going to escape. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And, and then he comes and says, men, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. So we, take, we claim this verse for family salvation. Household salvation. But this, this is not new here. Yeah. From, no, from Noah, you can see household salvation. Noah built something to save his family. Saints, are you building something to save your family? Then on the day of Passover, on the Passover, the lamb was not for an individual. You know, <clears throat> we all, we, we all ex may have experienced salvation. I shouldn't say we all. Most of us probably experience salvation as an individual. I, 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 can, I can relate to you my testimony of how I received Christ that night. I give you the date, the time, the place. And, but it was me. My sister preached to me. I, I got saved. And probably most of us could give a personal testimony. So I experienced the lamb. Then, then later, my, you know, another member of my family experienced the lamb. And then later, eventually, the whole household got saved. But that night of the Passover, it was all together per household. There was this exception that if their household is too small, you can invite your neighbor over. You know, the Lord makes exceptions. It's so sweet. The Lord's not, you can't box him. But it's by household. Then when they entered the land, we have the story of Rahab. Remember that story with the string? That's a picture of household salvation. So, so the, the household is the unit of salvation. But do you know the household is the unit of a few more things? The household is also the unit of service. That's why we read this verse here, Joshua 24, 15. Joshua said, declares, <clears throat> for as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. Saints, 
We want to recover household service. I hope we can pray for this. I hope we can build this up in all of our localities. That we come to serve by household. That would be a glory to the Lord. But that's something that takes practice. It's something that takes sacrifice. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more tomorrow uh, about this. I don't know if you'll understand this, but the, the household is a unit of something else. Maybe, maybe I'll ask one of the brothers find me or someone find Deuteronomy 12.7 12.7 to read it to everyone. The household is the unit of rejoicing. Do you know there's such a verse? The household is the unit of rejoicing. Actually, what that means is we should enjoy Christ by household. Do you have the verse, please? And there you shall eat before Jehovah your God, and you and your household shall rejoice in all your undertakings in which Jehovah your God hath blessed you. When it says there, it's talking about the place of God's choosing. In Deuteronomy, you know, that's where we see that God chooses Jerusalem as the place where the temple should be built. Once the temple is built, three times a year, the Israelites should gather and bring their, the produce of the land. But it says very clearly, there, not just you should rejoice, but you and your household. Amen. Saints, <clears throat> it should be normal for the members of a family to enjoy the Lord together. <clears throat> for some who have not um, nurtured this habit or had this habit, what I just said might seem like an impossibility. I know that. I know some would say, not my house. Not my house. Please don't, please don't dwell on that. Please don't dwell on that. <clears throat> For many especially those here who have young children, this is something that you can start fostering now and just nurture it, nurture it. We'll talk in more detail tomorrow and also Lord's Day morning. We even hope to supply you with material so that, so that your household can rejoice together. Amen. And it's not, <clears throat> uh, we're, we're not talking about having a, having, uh, 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 you know, pulling out a life study with your third grader and pray reading three verses and having an hour-long meeting. Please, please, please don't do that. Maybe I'll, I'll give you this quick story. In our campus labor some years ago, we did meet a, uh, a sister, already a sister in the Lord, very seeking. She joined herself to us. She actually had brethren background, which is similar to my background. And <clears throat> anyway, uh, we, uh, she was meeting with us on the campus for a little bit, even starting to come to some church meetings. Eventually, she invited us 
to her home to meet her family. Well, along the way, we had met some of her siblings, especially one high school boy. And um, <clears throat> anyway, we went to have a, a, a dinner with this dear family. Oh, this couple just loved the Lord so much. I believe, if I remember correctly, five children. All five children loved the Lord. It was very sweet. Anyway, as we're having this dinner, we find out that this father, this dad, would lead family worship every morning with all seven members of the family, five kids. And the kids are from elementary, junior high, high school, college, right, this range. <clears throat> For at, at, at 6 or 6.30 in the morning, for one hour, dad would open the Bible and preach to the six of them. That high school boy, he said, Brother Ricky, help us. <laughs> he said, you might be the only one he listens to. Please help us. Well. I, I did not dare to interfere with what was built up in that family. I sympathize with them. I don't know how they suffered through that. <clears throat> but I have to credit our brother. The children did not rebel. The children really loved their dad. Uh, anyway, but I would advise you, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. It, it could be, it could be, and we'll, we'll get more into this tomorrow, and, and especially Lord's Day morning. It could be just five minutes to sing a little song and to thank God for my puppy or my, you know, they, they pray for whatever, for my, you know, toy and my mommy and my pillow, and I just say, yay, man, thank you, God. And do you know that that little prayer, when they're three, when they're four, if you foster that properly, this family will, can pray together when they're teenagers. And it's, it's, it's normal. It's normal. Anyway, I got a little ahead of myself there. But it is... It should be a normal thing for our families to rejoice together. Amen. And finally, the church, the, uh, the household, the household is the unit of the church life. And this we see from Acts 2, 46. In the morning, the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. In the evening, where are they? House to house. They're in houses. Don't you believe they were, they, were they were meeting by family? They were meeting by family there. The, on the first day of the church, it was by household. The church life should be a family event. We do hope that we can recover these realities 
among us. But saints, this takes our constant, constant cooperation with the Lord. Remember, there are two battles. The first is the battle for the land. Actually, that's always the first battle. The first battle is our experience of Christ. The first battle is, are we being rooted in Christ and absorbing the Lord? You know, uh, we, before, the, before coming, the brothers advanced to me several questions, I think, that were, have been handed in, I don't know, over this last week or so. Our intention is to try to get to as many of those as possible, even through the course of our sharing. So some of them, we may not explicitly state the question and answer, but they, they will be addressed as we go along in the sharing. Uh, but probably tomorrow evening, we'll set aside some time for some of the questions. And um, one of the questions was something, something like this um, concerning, well, I, I forgot how it was put, but it was basically is this. Um, how can I stop yelling at my kids so much? Or some, some, something, something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I, I sympathize. I sympathize. Saints, <clears throat> um, I don't know how to tell you at the moment when, when the situation happens and, and you're already erupting. And, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you to, you know, bite your tongue or something. But I have realized that sometimes in my experience, that battle was not lost here. It was lost earlier in the day. It was lost, it was lost because I, I, there was a lack of proper time with the Lord. Now, I know that with some of the moms, because of your situation, the new moms, the young moms, you, you, you at least for a period of time, you, can, you are not having the kind of a set time, set place, at, at, you know, like you used to or like you used to try to, um, because uh, the child is up and the schedule's different, and, and when the baby sleeps, you should sleep. And so we, we understand that. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to this. You know, we, we do have to adapt. And sometimes our pursuing the Lord has to adapt to the situation. It won't look like it did before but it does not have to be any less rich because the soil doesn't change. The soil doesn't change. The soil still has all the nutrients. So it's a question of when and how to absorb. And there are different ways and times. And, and, and uh, you know, personally, I don't know how many times I have myself taught or preached on the manna melting. You know, you know this principle that we should 
get up early, and and you know, Brother Nee has a chapter on early rising. I read that was one of the first chapters I read when I came to the church life, and we've helped, tried to help, tried to help. There's how many new ones with having establishing a time with the Lord, and and we, you know, we've talked about. But but you know what? There comes a point where you have to forget about that. And, and I believe that the Lord will make an exception and your manna won't melt. <laughs> your manna, because of your... You know, one time, a Brother Rick was here recently, no? Brother Rick Scatterday. One time I went to him, this is an aside. Um, I, I went to him concerned for a brother, the health of one of the co-workers. <coughs> and... Uh, and after speaking with him for a few minutes, he said, <clears throat> you know, we're concerned about you. <laughs> I said, I'm fine. I said, oh, really? He says, so he asked me about my schedule. I was even ashamed to tell him my, my, my schedule. And then he talked to me about the principle of resting, getting proper rest. Excuse me. And... Um, <clears throat> paying attention. <coughs> Excuse me. You may have to finish the message. <coughs> Can we try it again? <coughs> oh, no. This is fine. Thank you. Paying attention to... Oh, should I do this? Should I continue? <coughs> For those listening, it's the same brother. <laughs> to, uh, to your body. When it tells you you have to rest. And he told me, sometimes when you come home from these trips, don't get up for morning revival. I said, oh. Yeah, I said, Brother Rick. I felt it was almost like a blasphemy. <laughs> says, you just need to sleep straight until your body, you know, tells you to wake up. That fellowship released me so much because I had this concept. Even, you know, sleep for a couple hours, get up so the manna doesn't melt, enjoy the Lord, and then go back to sleep. And then I'll sleep till I, you know, to catch up on my, because I travel to Australia and I travel to Moscow. So I have both sometimes. But that fellowship just released me from a concept. And I just passed that fellowship on, especially to the moms. This is not an excuse. If this fellowship doesn't apply to you, please don't apply it to you. <laughs> Get up early. Yeah. Obi, it does not apply to you. Okay? I want you up at 6, 5.30. <clears throat> But some need to apply this. Maybe it's sisters that are working as nurses or brothers that are working as nurses or those kind of shifts. You, the Lord will supply you. And moms, the Lord will supply you. <clears throat> but I'll come back to the sister with the short temper. It's not just, not just that. Sometimes we're just like this in regular daily life with our spouses. We're short 
with each other or with our children, but that's not the source. There's something else going on. And this battle was lost, not here. It was lost there when we didn't have the adequate absorbing of the Lord. So saints, <clears throat> we are going to try our best this weekend to pass on fellowship concerning the matter of the families, concerning building up even a kind of a, I might borrow this word, culture of family worship, uh, of family rejoicing. But <clears throat> I, I hope that everyone's clear that um, we don't major in the matters of how to raise children and discipline and the family. Our major is still God's economy. And, and what we want to do is to raise up many families that two generations together could turn this age. That's what we're aiming at. So there is... There may be some practical helps here and there, but there will always be this component of Christ and the church and this application of spending time with the Lord Amen. to absorb him, to draw the nutrient from him, especially the killing element. Because often in our Ma marriage life and our family life, oh, it's our temper that needs to be crucified. And you can't do that at the moment. What we do is spend time with the Lord before, give him the ground before. Then at the moment, he's there Amen. with that still small voice. And maybe today we have the grace to cooperate with that still small voice. Then the Lord has a victory. And your children see that. Your children see that. And your children will notice, huh, daddy didn't react the way he usually does. That will impress them. That will put a seed in them. Because this is one of the points we'll get into tomorrow morning. We're always sowing seeds, tiny seeds, into our children. And we, God is not marked. We will, we will reap what, what we sow. Amen. I think maybe we'll just share that much for tonight. Could we have maybe a few prayers? Is that okay? And then still a little time for responding? Okay. Maybe just a few prayers? Yeah. Amen. Amen.